pastor's message this morning is entitled, The Light of Life. The scripture reference is John chapter 1, the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, um, thank, you for, thank you for light. Thank you for the light of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life, Lord. And we know that by his life we live, both now and for eternity. Everything depends on Christ. And I pray that even this morning, the light of the revelation, the light of the gospel, the glory of God, would be displayed not just in the preaching, but in our hearts, the glory of God in Christ Jesus, in the face of Christ Jesus, the risen Christ in us, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Throughout Scripture, darkness is symbolic and often associated with evil, all various sorts of evil, internal, external evils, as well as judgment. And we know something about darkness when it comes to our understanding, don't we? Uh, last year, uh, in January, they started talking about a flu or a virus that came out of China, and, and we didn't know anything about it, and little did we know that we wouldn't be meeting together last Easter to celebrate the resurrection. Um, we know that this has been a confusing year. Darkness, if anybody says you have to trust the science, you have to ask, what do you mean? What science are you talking about? Scientists, I've talked to, to one of them, and he says a lot of what's being said about science is mythology. mythology. We're, not, we don't, we're not diviners. We don't know the future. We, we can't tell you everything there is to know. There's a certain darkness even now that we don't know what we're still going to be doing this year. There's variations of this virus out there, and what can we do? There's a lot of unrest when it comes to that sort of darkness and understanding, but darkness is spoken of in Scripture as regarding a lack of understanding often, and we'll see that today, but sometimes darkness is spoken of in Scripture as a, a, a means of deception. Remember the story of Laban making, well, making, Jacob loved Rachel, right? And I'll work for you for seven years in order to have your daughter, Rachel, as my wife. And so he does that. He's faithful those seven years. Can you imagine this? Men working for seven years and on the night of your wedding night, after seven years of labor, in the darkness of night is the way the scriptures describe it, Laban sneaks in his other daughter under the cover of night. You see, there's... There's a means of deception there that darkness offers sometimes. Sometimes it's less uh, uh, maniacal than that. But there is a cover of darkness that can produce lies or can hide lies. Second, dark 
desires are said to be the seed of evil even within us. Jesus said in Matthew 6.23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Full of it. And then the light in you is, if it's, in, if it's darkness, the light in you, how great is that darkness? He's describing this internal, uh, almost a cycle of darkness. Your desires, what you have within you is dark, and so how great is it and how overcoming is, is the idea that you're under its control. And that leads to darkness of conduct. The people love darkness, Jesus says, rather than light because their deeds were evil. Darkness is a way to veil evil deeds. It's a means of doing that. It's also described as the way that we thought before we were believers. We had our thinking in darkness, and that led to acts that were done, dark acts, evil acts. Perhaps the most vividly destructive or devastating language in all of Scripture regards eternal judgment, which is defined by Jesus in Matthew 8.12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we saw that judgment take place as we considered the cross. When we consider the cross, we know that in the middle of the day, when Jesus was outside of the camp, driven outside where executions would happen in Israel, bearing our sin, that a supernatural phenomenon took place. In the middle of the day, there was no eclipse. We know by the calendar. We know by the Jewish calendar. There was no eclipse going on. And yet we read in Mark 15, 33, when the sixth hour came, that's probably a general reference to noon or around that time, between 11 and 1 or that time of day, high noon, there was darkness over the whole land. Jerusalem was covered in darkness until, until the ninth hour, around three o'clock. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The judgment of God poured out upon the Lamb. Three hours of darkness would lead to three days of darkness in the tomb. But then came the morning, as the song says. And the lamentation of the prophet Jeremiah, remarkably in one of the most sobering and devastating books of Scripture, when it comes to the weeping of the prophet Jeremiah, who was a man who was acquainted with grief himself, says this remarkably in verse 22 of chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord, the cassette of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If you know the story of Jeremiah, we often don't recognize that he was born into a ministry of suffering. And I mean that. He knew that God appointed him from birth to the call of his prophet, prophetic ministry, and it was one of continual suffering. He maybe suffered more than anyone else, maybe than Paul, maybe than Job. If you read how he suffered, it was from beginning almost to the end of what we know of his life. Where did he get this hope? 
Look at what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is why the modern hymn writer says, Then bursting forth in glorious day, glorious day, up from the grave he arose again. Well, this will never be more true, what the prophet said there, the steadfast love of the Lord, they are new every morning. It will never be more true than that morning and every morning that follows since Jesus rose from the dead. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was already rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said to them, Be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. This morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, which is the ultimate fulfillment of the hope of the morning, the hope of day breaking, darkness being defeated. The psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from the pit. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Christ's resurrection, we see, is what makes that possible in verse 5. We read, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That is not true outside of Christ, necessarily for anyone. There are plenty of people in this world who suffer at night, who suffer in the darkness, and they wake up and things aren't different. They still suffer. What makes the psalmist true is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope this morning is not bound with the symbolism of the mercies of God rising with the sun, S-U-N. It's bound up with that symbolism becoming true with the true resurrection bodily of the Son of God, S-O-N, from the grave. That's when mourning means hope. That's when the darkness is defeated. When the tomb is shown to be empty is when we know that the mercies of God never end. Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we reflect on the truth of what Jesus was and what his resurrection means. And when we do that, it's a good place to go where, we, where Brother Jim read this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5. We often read that during Advent season. We often see the incarnation but John is not necessarily just telling us about Jesus and his divinity and his humanity there. So we can see that during Advent. But he's telling us something about Jesus. 
about what he accomplished even, about who he was and what he accomplished on the world. We know that he was the word, the word was made flesh. We know he is the creator, everything was made through him. But in verses 4 and 5, he says this about the word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, John is writing this after Jesus has been raised. And I believe when John is speaking here, especially as we read in verse 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it or overcome it. And I like, I think it's right, that translation, because the comprehension here is, is something that can have to do with a surrounding It didn't come to a full orb overcoming is the idea that I think is impressed here by John. The darkness did not overwhelm, it did not comprehend in the sense that it did not gain victory over Christ. The darkness, I think we can understand this here, that Christ was the victor over it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, when we read those I am statements in John, it's incumbent upon him remaining that those remain to be true. If Jesus has died and is buried and remains in the tomb, all those statements about the I am, I am the light of the world, I am that I am, all of these statements cease to really matter. But when we read, I am the way, the truth, and the life on Resurrection Sunday and always as believers, he remains that. This is who he is. Instead of the darkness of deceit, what we talked about earlier, Christ is the truth. His resurrection means that we can trust in himself. We can trust in him and in his resurrection that what we have before us in Scripture is true. We don't have to walk in darkness, as Isaiah 9, 6. Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And we see it still. He's alive. You know, all of the surrounding confusion that should humble us in the world should lead us to Christ, people. There's where truth lies. There's where confusion is turned on its head to Confession, conviction, hope is found because he is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the basic truth, I think, of what Jesus means there in John 14, 6, is that he himself is the means of eternal life. I am these things. I'm the way to it. I'm the truth of it. I am the life. (laughs) And then he says, no one comes to the Father He is the means of knowing God. We don't know God apart from Christ. If Christ does not live, no one knows the Father. Everyone is in the darkness of deceit, of the the devil, as we'll read, if Christ has not been raised. But we are not under that condemnation because we're not under his dominion anymore. Galatians 1, 3. If you had known me, Jesus says, 
who, who he is, the truth, you would have also known my father. From now on, you do know him. Think of this in light of the resurrection. The Christ who ever lives, as we know him, we truly know the father. We never cease to know God. Savingly, we have the truth because Jesus lives. Second, instead of being controlled by dark desires, God has graciously opened eyes to see the truth and then to live in the light of the living Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, or 4, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. If, if you're familiar with that text, it's incredible. Paul is describing his ministry as a gospel minister. But he talks about his gospel going out into the world, and he says if it's veiled, the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Think of that veil as a darkness to it. There's a darkness of covering what this gospel is. In their case, the God of this world has blinded, is kept in spiritual darkness the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, now get this, this is, the, this is the creation proclamation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, this is the recreation, the new creation proclamation, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is not merely the light of the true gospel and glory of God as a true doctrine per se. It is that doctrine imparted to the soul, to the heart, so that we receive it, so that we know God, that we're not any longer in darkness but that we are enlightened by the true God. God in true conversion replaces our spiritual darkness with the light of his glory in the living Christ. This is how John says it in 1 John 5. I want you to go there because this is so powerful. 1 John 5, 19 through 20. I'll give you a moment to go there. Just follow along here. Imagine the significance of this as this comes to this early church but also realize this comes to you just as significantly now. We know that we are from God. You know, many people who are celebrating the resurrection this morning do not believe that's true. But John says he wrote these things in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we can know this is true about us because of the risen Christ, because of the revealing of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus to our hearts. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. They walk in darkness, as Ephesians 5 says, is what he means here, because their eyes are blinded. What we just read, 2 Corinthians 4. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, that is God, and we are in him who is true, that is God. Now listen to this, how God is defined. In his Son, Jesus Christ. What? (laughs) Isn't that blasphemy? (laughs) No. This is the measure of how God the Son reveals God to us. When we know the Son, we know the Father. 
When you see the Son by faith, you know the Father. Since the Son is risen, we know the Father. We know God because we know the Son. He, listen to Jesus Christ, He is the true God. He's speaking of Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The resurrection keep us, should keep us as far away from any idol that could possibly be conceived of. We know the true and living God because Christ lives. Third, instead of darkness of conduct, Christ's life. Now li- listen to me. Christ's life, his ongoing life, is the means of our walking in the light. A lot of times you'll hear on Easter, Jesus rose to make something out of you. And, and we start thinking of ourselves a lot, and we have a lot of introspection about what Easter means to me, for me, and about me. And I want to tell you, it means the world to you, but it all is about Him. The good news concerns God's Son. Our ongoing hope in life is because Christ lives, not because we've really become something great in ourselves, because it's Christ in you. That's what makes a difference in life and in death. But it matters in our conduct that Christ is alive. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. You are light. Why? You are light because you're in the Lord. In the Lord means it matters if he's living. You know, he died when we were yet in our sin, but now we have more confidence because he lives now. We will be saved for sure. Romans chapter 5, 8 through 10. Romans 6, 4 speaks about this living relationship with Christ because of his resurrection and what that means for our lives because he lives. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That is, we died when he died. This is the union that we have with Christ. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then we know as he goes on, and I'm not going to expound the whole portion, but we know he's speaking here about the reality of being in union with Christ. We die with him. We live with him. There is a future eternity that we have to spend with him. But this living with him is happening now, and that means something for our conduct. Verse 13, go down there. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Your members are those tools of of yourself that you have to use at the expense of either sin or righteousness in this life. But present yourselves to God as to those who have been bought from life, brought from life, from death, I'm sorry, to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? Because Christ lives and you're in union with him. We've been going through this in Romans chapter 12. Not conforming to this world means do not be what you're not. That's not what you are in Christ Jesus. Be transformed means be who you are in Christ Jesus. And we're not perfect yet. 
This is ongoing. We're being sanctified, as the way the scriptures put it. We're being made in the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. It's by shades. It's by degrees. It's not being perfected yet, but it will be. It will be. But now Christ is in you so that you will. He lives in you so that you will walk not in darkness, but in light, in righteousness. Fourth, Christ our eternal life. Instead of our facing that judgment, the wrath of God, hell, instead of us facing that darkness, which never ends, Christ, when he bore it. Now, I just want you to meditate just a minute on this. Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross, the scripture says. Think of the value of Christ in that. He's bearing your sin in his own body, the sins of all of his people from all time, all who would believe in his name. He is bearing your sins in that moment, the darkness is upon the face of that Jerusalem. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what it took to pay your eternal penalty for salvation. And Jonathan Edwards, I remember this from years ago, pointed out that in that we see the excellency of Christ. What value is in the person of Christ that he could pay an eternal sacrifice in that what we perceive as a momentary suffering? But all our sins were laid on him. But because of that, what the prophet Isaiah and Zechariah, what Jeremiah said, the mercies of God are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, is true. But that morning will someday never end. The truth of the resurrected Christ means that there is life eternal and a day which will not cease to end. Both the prophet Zechariah and Isaiah speak about this day. We'll read Isaiah first. I want you to go there. They speak about a day of endless day, really. A time of endless day. After the final judgment, when, as we know, Christ will destroy, he will come again, the one who God raised from the dead, and he will judge the world in righteousness. And after all of evil is put down in that final day, and the kingdom is consummated, and he reigns, Forever and ever, and God is esteemed as how he ought to be in the hearts of his people forever and ever, and there is no more sin in the world, Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come. This is Isaiah chapter 60, 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. That last judgment is deemed there as darkness, and we'll see it again in Zechariah. 
And now we read down in chapter or verse 19, and we could read through, but for time's sake, we're going to just read verse 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon shall withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Turn to the second, to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. The prophet gives another view of this endless day. Verses 6 through 9. If you're from Montana or somewhere cold, you'll enjoy this one. On that day, there shall be no Light, cold, or frost. This is that day of judgment, which if you are in Christ, you're out of that. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, that's in his time, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And that day, the Lord, and here's what I want us to hear before we go to Revelation. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Now go to Revelation chapter 21. This is what the light of Christ means for us. The light of life. Instead of our judgment, everlasting life. Hear how it's described here. It'll sound very familiar at this point. I'm going to read all the way down through verse, chapter 22, verse 5. And I saw no temple in the city. This is the new Jerusalem. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Listen to this. Listen to how that, you, you just, we just gloss over that. Listen to how every time the Lord God has spoken and the Lamb. This is the Lord God and the Lamb. Remember... What we just read there in Zechariah, that at that day the Lord will be one and his name one. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God gives its, the glory of God gives its light, the lamp is the Lamb. lamb. These, distinguish, these don't really distinguish. They're, the glory of God is the light, the lamp, the lamb is the lamp. You see? This is one operation. By its light will walk the nations. Nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into, the, into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. No more darkness. There's no more, there's no more deceit. There's no more evil intentions. There's no more evil hearts. There's no more evil actions. There's no more judgment nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. We read that in Zechariah. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were from the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God. And the Lamb will be in it. Whose throne? God and the Lamb's. 
Listen to, to how we see the pronouns being used. Pronouns matter, people. Use pronouns rightly. And his servant, his servant, whose? God and the Lamb. His. His servants will worship him. Who? God and the Lamb. They will see his face. And his name will be in their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no light, nor lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is accomplished because Christ rose from the dead. Zechariah will be fulfilled, Isaiah will be fulfilled, John will be fulfilled. We can be sure of it because Christ rose from the dead. There is a day when no more confusion will reach us. No more sorrow, no more sin, no more judgment. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Everything will be made, be remade in righteousness because Christ arose. He is the light of life. And he lives forever. Let's pray. Our Father, because you live, because Christ lives, he said, you will live also. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. He that believeth in me, yet he die. Though he die, yet shall he live. Father, we worship you even a moment of suffering for your son was too much. It was more than we deserved. It was, less, it was more than he ever deserved, and it was less than we deserved. Lord, you are good in all that you do, in all that you plan, and what you have told us about what will come is as true as what has already happened because of what Jesus did when he died for our sins in our place and was buried and rose again on the third day for our justification and all in accordance with the scriptures. I pray that you would help us to go from these doors rejoicing into a world that we know many don't believe this message, but bearing that message, the treasure in clay pots, let us rejoice, even in persecution, even in suffering, that Christ is our salvation, and he lives. Because he lives, we shall live also. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.